0: good to see you today. We've had a big week here at First Baptist, as we've had Vacation Bible School, and in fact, if you're here just a few days ago, you would have seen Mount Everest right behind me here on the platform. And I do want to thank everyone who participated in VBS. I know that many of you were able to help and provide leadership, and we're just so thankful for for that. Uh, also, as uh, Melissa said, we had a large group of students head out for uh, Kentucky this morning, bright and early, uh, for a week of youth camp, and so be praying for them as they uh, travel today and as they begin their week of, of, of camp. It's, it's amazing that both in in Vacation Bible School and in youth camp, that those can be weeks where where children and, and students really hear from the Lord, and they make commitments to Him. And, and so we, uh, we know we saw some of that this last week, and we anticipate uh, this coming week as well, seeing seeing commitments, uh, even further commitments to the Lord, uh, being made, and so be praying for those groups as they uh, as they head to uh, to camp this week. This morning we're going to begin a new series uh, for the summer, and we'll be going through the Book of Psalms. We'll be looking at a, at a different Psalm each Sunday. And I uh, hope and pray that it will be something that uh, the Lord will use to uh, to encourage you in the faith this, this summer. Uh, there's a lot of different topics, a lot of different uh, uh, themes that will be addressed. And Lord willing, there'll be something that, uh, that will connect uh, with you and where you are at uh, as well uh, over the course of, of the series. I want to begin by, by uh, showing you a picture of an old map. It was a Mariner's chart that was uh, drawn up. Uh, there several of these that are on display in the British Museum in London. Uh, this one goes back into the 1500s. And, and uh, they're interesting because so many of these charts are, are, are beyond just the details of how to get from point A to point B. Uh, as you can see on this one, that the, uh, the cartographer uh, took it upon himself to to place some warnings in different parts of the, the world of things that he thought might be there. In fact, uh, on one of the maps, it says, uh, uh, in, in the, in, uh, in, over one territory, it says... Here are giants. And then on another part of the map, he wrote, Here are fiery scorpions. And then in another part, he wrote, Here are dragons. And you can even see some of the the, uh, depictions of of sea monsters and so forth. And uh, an explorer, a British explorer by the name of Sir John Franklin, came across one of these maps. And uh, he looked at it and he scratched out all of the fearful inscriptions that were on there. And he simply wrote, God is here. And it was a reminder that wherever he went, wherever team and expedition he led, that he was going knowing that God was present. And I hope this morning, as we begin a series through the book of Psalms, that that will be at the forefront of our minds, knowing that God is here, that he is with us. And that'll be a theme that you'll see us uh, continue to see as we go through each one of the Psalms. And that is that God is. Uh, some of the Psalms deal with, with a psalmist in a trial in a time of suffering. And in that case, God is there for strength. Sometimes it's in sickness, and it's there that God is present. He's present for comfort. There are also times in which a psalmist will write a discovery that he has in, in creation. He'll see something, and, uh, and he's there to, to be reminded that, that God is creator, and he's there to be, to be praised. There are times in which the psalmist will write about about enemies attacking him and how God is there as a shield and as a defender. When we cannot find our way in this life, we have a God. A God who is there to give direction. When times are good, as you think about something like Psalm 100, we, we remember that God is there and He's there to be thanked. Regardless of our situation, God is present. And the Psalms remind us of that. Wherever we go physically in life or wherever we are in a, in, a, in a stage or an experience that we're going through, God is present. And I think that as we go through these Psalms, we will see that each and every time. The book of Psalms was referred to by the ancient Jews as a book of praises. And that's because so many of these psalms are, are, are literal prayers of, of someone pouring their heart out to God. Some of them were set to music and they were songs that were sung that were used to, uh, to bring people before the Lord in worship. Uh, the book of Psalms is interesting. It's, it's actually the largest book of the Bible. There are 150 chapters or, if you will, 150 psalms in, in the book. It uh, also contains the largest chapter in the Bible. Uh, Psalm 119 uh, has 176 verses in that one chapter. And as I was thinking about that, I remember as a child, I was in a uh, scripture memory program where we would memorize about 8 to 10 verses each month. And sometimes we would take an entire psalm. And uh, one time we had Psalm 23, uh, one time we had Psalm 100. And I was asking the director what what we were going to do for the next month. And he told me, he said, oh, it's Psalm 119. And so I I flipped it open and thought, oh, wow, this (laughs) this is going to take a while. 176 verses. Uh, So it is the uh, largest chapter. The shortest chapter of the Bible is also found in the book of Psalms. It's Psalm 117, only has two verses. Uh, The book of Psalms is written by... Uh, more off- authors than any other book, and it was a, a long project because you have psalms that span about a, a nearly a thousand-year period. Um, the, uh, the first psalm, if you will, not Psalm 1, but the oldest psalm is Psalm 90, and it was written by Moses during the uh, wilderness wanderings as the nation of Israel was out in the wilderness around four, uh, 1410 B.C., Uh, Most of the Psalms, of course, were written by King David uh, during his reign, uh, 1020 to 970 B.C. The the youngest Psalm, if you will, or the last one that was written, is Psalm 126. And it was written after the time of Israel's exile. And it uh, was possibly written by Ezra in 430 B.C. So we see that there's many different authors. There was different times. But the purpose of the book of Psalms is consistent all the way through. And that is that in each occasion, in each experience that the psalmist is writing about, there is an intense hunger for God. It is a God-centered perspective of life. No matter if it was a good time, and it was a time of discovery and a time of thanksgiving and praise, or whether it was a time of fear or uncertainty or calamity, in every occasion, God is the one who is at the center And so uh, I I think we will see that each and every Lord's Day. There are uh, seven basic types of psalms. And so uh, some uh, uh, theologians have categorized the, uh, the psalms. And so let me just quickly share those with you because we'll be touching on different categories over the course of the summer. We'll be looking at a wisdom psalm this morning, which is the first category. And that, of course, is a psalm that gives practical guidelines, gives instructions for godly living. There are also royal psalms which speak of the messianic rule of the Messiah who is to come. And so oftentimes we think of of messianic uh, prophecy coming in in other passages, other chapter uh, books of the Bible, um, Ezekiel or or Daniel or so forth. But here you actually uh, have psalms that also are messianic in nature. The lament psalms are psalms that depict the writer's repentance. And you can think of something like Psalm 51, and you think of David and, and repenting of sin. And, and so that's a, that's a type of psalm. Um. Uh, the fourth one's kind of interesting. You see that, see there, it's an Im- imprecatory psalm. And uh, that's that's one in which the psalmist feels as if there are enemies and adversaries surrounding him, and he's praying for relief, he's praying for deliverance, and he's praying for judgment to fall on his enemies. Okay, you've probably read through some of those. And uh, those are categorized as an imprecatory psalm. Uh, the next one is a thanksgiving psalm, something like Psalm 100, where there's just a profound awareness And a deep gratitude of God's blessings. Uh, Pilgrimage Psalms were written for those who were traveling to Jerusalem, maybe going for a holiday or a religious uh, festival of some kind. That would be a pilgrimage psalm. And the final one is a category called enthronement. Enthronement Psalms describe the majesty of God's sovereign rule. And at times even speak of his creation and uh, God being the creator and his, uh, as the one who gives providential care. So this morning we're going to begin in Psalm 1. As I said, it's a wisdom psalm. And it pictures for us two roads or two directions that we can go in life. And uh, I've already uh, tried to apologize to a a couple of the people that went on the Romanian mission trip because I preached Psalm 1 three times when we were doing evangelistic services in in Romania because I felt like it was such a clear picture of the two ways that we have in life. And so I I, I look at Psalm 1 and it seems to me that it's like the road map that begins the entire book. All of the other 149 Psalms to follow really, uh, flow out of whether someone is gonna take the path of life, which is the way that the Lord leads, or the way of the world. And so we see that very clearly, uh, even in our own culture, that there's, that there's two options, there's two choices. We can, we can seek to follow the ways of, of God and look to His Word as being authoritative and instructive and find the principles that are there that lead us to, to, to godly living. Or we can follow the the, the thinking and the path of the world. And and it's all around us, that that conflict that that, that, uh, emerges. Uh, And so we see that very uh, clearly uh, shown and depicted here uh, in Psalm 1. And so let's begin, first of all, by looking at the way of the Lord. And we see verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. It begins here for us with a uh, with with an idea of blessing, blessed, and uh, we really don't have a good word in the English to 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 share this. It's like blessed or blessedness, like a state of blessedness. Um, but the challenge for us is that it's a word that's written in the plural form. And so it would be something like blessednesses. you know, it's 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 more than just being blessed. And so it's the idea that at the very beginning of the book of Psalms, we are told here is a person who has been blessed by God. This is what that life looks like. This is what it goes after. This is what it avoids. There are two ways, two options, two choices. And so it begins with a, with a blessing. Now, you'll notice very quickly that, that there's negative and positive in Psalm 1. And it begins with a negative in the sense of what is being avoided. What it is that would be rejected. And it says that the council walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so really there is there is a different perspective that is out there that is in contradiction to the word of God. And in this verse, it's saying that these are the ones that have wicked counsel or the way of sinning or sinners and the seat of scoffers. And it's, it's interesting that there is a progression. If you read the psalm, it begins by talking about walking down a path, right? That there's, there's, there's movement with a particular person in a direction. But then it says that that person stops walking and then stands. It's as if their attention has been, been, uh, been gotten. And so they stop and they listen more. And then what's the next thing that happens? They walk, they stand, and then they sit down. It's as if there's greater acceptance of what is being discussed, what is being talked about. And so uh, the psalmist is saying this is the type of progression that the blessed person going down the way of the Lord would seek to avoid. Proverbs chapter 4 speaks of this as well. It says, Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it, do not go on it, turn away from it, and pass on. So you see right here, whether it's in Proverbs or back in Psalm 1, that there is a warning that's given. Now, I can tell you from the beginning that this idea of trying to determine what is wicked counsel may be a little uncomfortable for you. You may, you may think through that and, and think, well, who am I, right, to say that this is, this is true or this is wrong? Is that something that, that anybody can determine? And that's the, that's the challenge that we live in today. How do we define what is right and what is wrong? Is it, is, it, uh, is, is it even possible any longer to say this is truth and this is error? Can we make judgments on morality to say this is right and wrong? Because we live in a culture right now that is blurring those lines. And it's, it's, it's made it very difficult. I think you've probably felt that tension, as, as I have, even in recent weeks, as, uh, as, 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 as things develop and take place in our culture. Who, who are we, right, to be able to make a statement about something that's right or wrong? However, we have an absolute standard that's been given to us in the Word of God. And the Bible is true. And it, 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 it seems that this is given at the beginning of Psalms as a loving warning to avoid a direction that we were not created to go down. And that through that we will see that there are results of going down the path of worldly thinking. Or wicked thinking if you will. But, uh, but I just know that as we read through this. That, uh, that for some of us that's probably word. Those are probably words that make us uncomfortable. Because uh, we, we live in a day where taking a stand is not necessarily applauded as the right thing to do. But we must. We have to know. In fact, we think about this not only as a church and the message and the the, the the gospel message that we that we cling to, but we also think about it as parents and as grandparents, thinking about about helping our children or grandchildren discern their ways through a very tricky culture. It's not what it used to be. There's a lot of things, and it's changing uh, very, very, very rapidly. And so that's why we, as believers, must, must stand firm and we must look at passages even like this. Um, it not only says what we are to reject, but it says, secondly, what to receive. Let's look at verse 2. Here's kind of the positive side. If this is a, something that we would say we would reject, this is what we would receive. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night. And so here, of course, is, is, a, is a description of the Bible saying that the person that is blessed that's going down the way of the Lord would receive the Bible and cherish it as instructive. And in fact, there's other passages that we'll be looking at in the book of Psalms that, that see how much the psalmist treasures the Word of God to give guidance and to give direction. And I think that this that this delight that we see in verse 2 stems to a delight that the person, that the psalmist has in God. We can love His Word because we love God. We don't want to, to separate the, the, uh, the Word from who it comes from. And it says, On His law He meditates day and night. And so it's just thinking about being saturated with Scripture daily. Yes, as we come together as a church, we open up the passage and we 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 look at it. We we receive it together. We we contemplate it. Uh, we do that once a week. You do that in, in ABF if you're part of a of a small group Bible study. But what this is speaking of is even further than that. It's taking the Word of God each and every day, meditating on it would would be. Um, uh, like someone who is brewing a cup of tea, that you take the tea bag and you put it in, and, and if you just just dip it in just for a little bit, right, and pull it right out, um, you know it's going to be very weak, isn't it? Just going to be very, just have a little bit of a, of an effect upon upon the hot water. But if you if you put that tea bag in there and you let it you let it sit and soak and saturate into that that hot water for a while it begins to steepen. It gets stronger and stronger. And that's, that's kind of the idea of Christian meditation and thinking about the Word of God is that we, that we meditate on it day by day with the Holy Spirit instructing and, and uh, enlightening uh, His Word for us. And, uh, and this, is, this is really the key for what we will be seeing in the next verse. Before we look at verse 3, though, let me give you a quote uh, from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Talking about this walk with God, he says, if you walk with God, you cannot mistake the road. You have infallible wisdom to direct you, permanent love to comfort you, and eternal power to defend you. And that's a, that's a summary of what it means to walk with God, what you have as tools that are there with you as you, uh, as you uh, proceed down this path of life. Well, let's look at the result in verse 3. It says, He is like a tree, Planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And so there's a, there's another picture here. The first picture is the the two roads, but now we have the picture of the person who's following after uh, after the Lord, who is who is uh, delighting in His Word. And you get now a an agricultural picture, a picture of a tree that is that is blossoming. That is thriving, that is flourishing, and and you see that it's 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 because of its position, you know, connected into to to, uh, to, a, to a place where it can it can draw nourishment. In fact, I may have told you before that years ago, <clears throat> we built a house near Kansas City, and we were in a uh, in a subdivision that had been an old uh, an old farm. And so there weren't, there were not many trees that were, that were on our property. And so, uh, I planted quite a few around the house in different places. And we had a terrible drought. I I think it might have been, uh, close to two months where we had just no rainfall at all. And, uh, so you'd pull into the subdivision and, you know, the yard just was brown, looked like shredded wheat everywhere and these sticks coming up out of the ground that were supposed to be these small trees that had already lost their leaves. And there was one big tree that had probably doubled in height during that time. It was flourishing with all that heat. And it was because of its position near a small pond. And obviously it had a root system of some kind that got right into that pond. And while everything else was suffering and everything else was diminishing, it was flourishing. And as I saw that, I thought, that is a picture of the Christian life. Because there are times that we are in scenarios where, where the people around us, they, they do not, they don't hold to the Word. They don't appreciate the wisdom that comes from God's Word. They're not, they're, not, they're not living their life with standards and principles based upon the Word of God. And yet we can still be in that position where we are tapping in to the Word, tapping into that that walk with Christ, and we are able to flourish. That's what we were created to do. Not just to have an everlasting life, eternally in heaven he wants our life our lives here and now to flourish and to bear fruit and you you, you think about the the kind of fruit that a that a christian would 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 bear and you you may think of the fruit of the spirit things like love joy peace patience kindness goodness self-control all of these are things that are produced by the holy spirit as we grow and then from there, you know, we see opportunities for service or for having compassion and, and, and grace extended towards someone in, in need. All of these are things that, that happen through the life of a believer because we were meant, we were designed to be people who produce. And it's, it's not a, a matter of whether these good works will, will earn us a way to heaven because we know that we can't do enough Good works, we can't produce enough good fruit, if you will, to earn our way into heaven. We only we only come to 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 uh, to heaven through through Jesus Christ and through His life, His death and resurrection. By placing our faith in Him and repenting of our sins, we we uh, we, we we are given that eternal life as a as a free gift. But because we are saved, we have been regenerated. The, the good works of our life now show our faith. They are really evidence that our, that our faith is genuine. And so sometimes from a, from, a, uh, uh, from a worldly perspective, we get that backwards and think, well, well, in order to get good things, we must do good things. But in, in God's economy, it is first, based upon the good work of Jesus Christ, we have been saved and that out of that we have been filled and now we are able to do good works. We've been created to do these things. It's it's part of the expectation of a believer. And so when we look at verse 3 and we see that life that is thriving and even it speaks of of uh, of, of of an abundant and full life, that is the uh, that is the picture for us. Um John 15 verses 4 and 5. Jesus said abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And so that's, that's really the picture for us, to, to want to be that kind of follower of Christ who's bearing fruit, who's being used by God to make a difference In the lives of those who are around us. It ends by saying, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So that's really the key. That's the secret. Now we see not only the way of the Lord, but also secondly the way of the world. It goes back in verses 4 and 5 and uh, describes uh, the other path. It says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now, let's just be honest. Are we real comfortable with verses 4 and 5? As a preacher, it would have been nice just to stop at verse 3, right? Go ahead and just take up the offering and call it a day, right? We don't like words like that, do we? Punishment and judgment. And so we wrestle with that. Even the idea of, 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 of one group being called wicked and another being called righteous, it just it makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? I think for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that I talked about a minute ago, it's, it's hard in our culture today to, to be able to define good and evil. It's the perspective of, well, who do you think you are to be able to define what is wicked and what is righteous, what is good, what is evil, right and wrong. But again, we have to go back to the fact that we have a standard there, and so it's addressed in the Scriptures. The second thing that we, that we may be uncomfortable with is just the idea of, of there being a group identified as wicked and one as righteous. Because if you're like me, we would look at that, and which group would we identify with? The ungodly, right? We'd say, I, I, I shouldn't be called righteous. I shouldn't be, be, be considered uh, godly. Because I know myself and I know what I've done. I know what goes on in my mind and what I've done in my life. All of us are sinners. And so I think as we look at a passage like that, we have to be reminded that we all start off on that broad road. We all start off on that, that path that did not follow after God. And so we look at a, at a verse like that. And, and if we have been redeemed and we've been forgiven of our sins... We have only been uh, placed in this other group because of the grace of God. And so we don't take any, any uh, 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 pleasure in speaking about judgment or speaking about punishment. But that's exactly what this verse is talking about. It's talking about the end when there will be a judgment. And that might be the other reason why these verses make us a little uncomfortable, is to think about judgment. Judgment. We don't live in a day in which speaking about judgment is all that popular. And yet, if we think about it, God loved us enough that He laid it all out there for us. That He even talked about what the end would look like. Why? So that we could be prepared. That we would have opportunity to see what this life looked like and to see that when this life is over, there is a time of judgment. And that we can live in light of that information. And so God has been very loving. Can you, can you imagine what it would have looked like to have lived your whole life, step into eternity, step into judgment, and have never heard of it before? That, what, what, that wouldn't have been a loving thing. So, so God was very loving in sharing that, uh, that information with us. And, and some would say, well, isn't that, that really the God of the Old Testament speaking of that? And I would, I would disagree with that. I would say, no, as you read throughout all of Scripture, old and new, we see that everything in history is moving to a point. And whether it's called Day of the Lord or Day of Judgment, there is a time, there is a time of reckoning. And there is a separation between those who enter eternal life and those who do not. And so for us, me as a preacher, us as a church, to get caught up into a a thought where maybe we just won't deal with verses like that, I think is unloving and I think it's unwise because they've been given to us for a reason. Now, we want to use them in the right way and we want to approach them humbly. We want to share them uh, out, of, out, of, out, of, out of humility, uh, but we, we nonetheless want to recognize that they're there. What this is here in verse 4 is a picture of a harvest. You get the idea of, of a winnowing fork that is going through the grain and, of course, you know, not with the modern machinery that we have today to separate the grain or the, the fruit off the plant with the, the husk or the, the chaff. And so they had other methods in being able to break that apart so they could get just whether it was the wheat or whatever it was they were working, working for. And so a fork would be used to, like a pitchfork to throw it up in the air a little bit. The wind would catch the, uh, the lighter material, the chaff, and bring it through. And so there, there's a process there of just bringing it through for the purpose of separating out The two. And then that separation, then the chaff would be carried in the wind, probably pile up a little further away. It would be bound up, and as it says in Scripture, it would be burned. But the the other would be preserved. And so that's the picture that we have here. And again, that's where we all begin. Romans 3, verse 10 says, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. That's each one of us. We don't step into eternity saying, okay, here are all of my good deeds. Here are all the good things that I've done. And so surely that will will grant me favor in the eyes of God because we're not righteous. But the good news is there is one who is righteous. In fact, Romans 5 says in verse 6, While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for you and me. Because our sin deserved a punishment. We've looked at that. And Christ took the punishment upon Himself. At the cross, He went and took what He did not deserve. And He took what we deserved. And He took that to the grave. And we think not only of His death, as it mentions there in Romans 5, verse 6, but we also think about His life. Because He lived a perfect, sinless life. And it was because of His righteousness that that, His righteousness, has been attributed or credited to our account. So when God looks at us and He sees righteousness, He's seeing the righteousness of His Son. I tell you, that's good news. That's good news for those of us that are living in light of a future judgment to know that Christ has done that work for us. And that we can have assurance of, of heaven and eternal life based upon what He has done in taking our judgment. So I hope that as you look at verses 4 and 5, you'll give that some thought. Because what we've done is we've, in a, in a very short frame here, we've, we've looked at the gospel message. To see that, that there was a need that Christ met. And that there was a punishment that He took so that we could have not death, but life. And that's such a beautiful picture of the gospel message. And I hope it's one that, that encourages you this morning. And it's one that would, would motivate us. And you know, I think of different passages of scripture that, that, that are there that, that remind us of, of, of people who have not yet trusted in Christ. And to see that they will step into a Christless eternity. And that it will sensitize our hearts towards them to want to to share truth with them and to encourage them to to think of things just like this, the way of the Lord, and to to consider the direction in which their life is going. So so yes, I think it's good for us individually to think about it, but to also graciously think of those around us who have not yet trusted in Christ, whether it be in our community or halfway around the world where we've, we've done ministry, that this is part of the motivation in knowing that we live in light of that day. I can remember reading a book years ago, and, and uh, in one of the chapters it said, uh, it was a book written to parents, and it said, you know, your, your, your biggest day that you're trying to prepare this toddler for is not kindergarten, although that is a very big and important day. And, and, and really, as you continue to raise the child, the biggest day isn't, isn't graduation, although, again, that's a big day. And it's, 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 it's not just marriage, because, yeah, that's a big day, too, that you're preparing them for one day being a spouse. But the author said, you're preparing a child to think in light of coming judgment. I thought, wow, that's a, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? That sounds really, really rough. But if you think about it as a believer, we want our children, we want our, 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 our kids to understand how life works and how, what, what, is, what we are moving towards, all of history moving in to the day of the Lord so that they themselves will have that security and that assurance of heaven. Well, let's look at the last verse. For the, speaking of the final destination, it says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So what we see here is that these roads lead somewhere. We've kind of touched on that already. There is not only a different direction, but there is also a specific destination. I can remember reading uh, a few years ago about a map... That was written some instructions that were given for uh, the climbing of a mountain in Scotland called Ben Nevis. And you probably don't think of of mountains in Scotland, but this is actually a, a mountain that's 4,400 uh, feet tall. So part of the year it has snowfall on it, and uh, it's the uh, largest point in the UK. And uh, so the the uh, this trail magazine wrote out the description on how you how you summit that. And the very next issue of the magazine, they had to retract it. And they had to give a warning and say, no, what we told you was not right. And it said, if anyone follows the instruction we gave in the last issue, they will very likely go right over the edge, which is what that looks like. So, you know, if a magazine takes the time to see that a destination comes following the direction, I think for you and I, we would do well to think of that as well. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So this morning, as we wrap up, let me just say a couple things. First of all, if you're here and you have a concern, you have a question about what it means to know that you have assurance of heaven, to know what it means to have Jesus as Savior. I would love to talk with you about that. It shouldn't be one of those things that just keeps you awake at night, night after night. Something that can, you can have assurance. In fact, the scriptures tell us that, 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 they want, that, that we are uh, designed to have assurance of eternal life. Uh, you can read through the book of First John uh, to see several examples. So I would love to talk with you about that. When the service is over and we go out the back doors, there's room off to the left. And I'd, I'd really count it an honor to, to, to pray with you and to talk with you about about uh, a matter such as this. If you have a prayer need as well, that's a time that even this morning we had some people come through that, that, uh, that just needed some prayer. Uh, sometimes we have people come this morning. We had some come that wanted to join, to join the church as well. So, so come through and see us on your way out this morning if you do have uh, a question about this. It's, it's so important. But I want to end on a positive note here as well. Because this path of life that is described here with the imagery of the tree and all of the provision that, that, that uh, comes so that fruit can be, can be, uh, can be born by the tree is, is, is really the path that this psalmist is going down. And so every time we approach a psalm this summer, we're going to be looking at it as if we're out of looking at it from that perspective, trying to find God in the midst of the psalm, looking and seeing how He would also be in the midst of our life if we can connect with with what it is that that psalmist is going through. Let's take a minute to to go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to take His Word as He does each week and uh, make application to our lives. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that it is true. We thank you that that we can begin a, a series this morning going through the Psalms and from the very beginning see that you want a life to be blessed, a life to go in a direction with you. And so, Father, we pray that that would be on our minds this morning, that that would be a desire that each of us would have. And Lord, again, we do want to pray that if there's any among us that have not yet made that decision to follow you is Lord and Savior, that You would use Your Word today to draw people to Yourself. We thank You that we can worship You, a God who is always present, who is always with us, and provides what is needed. So we pray, Lord, that uh, that today You have been honored and that we can continue to worship You now, even as we receive the uh, tithes and offerings, that You would You would bless them and use them for Your purpose and for Your glory. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.